All right, well, we're going to go ahead and get started tonight. Um, it's uh, the Wednesday before Christmas and before the ice apocalypse that's uh, <clears throat> threatening our, our very existence in our lives. Uh, yeah, like, well, you don't have to go anywhere, you're fine. If you have to go somewhere, then, uh, as I was telling you, that just get a small tank and you'll be okay. So <clears throat> let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. We'll get started and uh, get right into our lesson. Um, like I said, we've got uh, just a couple more. I got this one and uh, probably about one more about some biblical examples of some change, um, how change uh, starts small and uh, how it spreads and uh, how it can uh, influence even those that are around you. Uh, one of the key things to understand about change itself is, is that when you make a change, others will be affected by it. So just as sin has ripple effect, righteousness has the same uh, ripple effect. But as we all know, the grace of God is uh, far greater than any sin. And it can have a much greater impact than sin can in a person's life. So we're going to see a couple of examples from scripture about that. And, uh, but let's go ahead and get started. We'll pick up where we left off last week. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you again for an opportunity to meet here. And Lord, I just thank you again for a nice warm building that we can meet in. And Lord, we just, uh, pray for, um, the next coming few days, Lord, as we uh, prepare to uh, worship you and give you praise uh, for what you've done for us as we come together as friends and family and the body of Christ, Lord, uh, on Sunday to uh, worship you and praise you that, Lord, we just keep in mind uh, the greatest gift of all is the salvation that you've given to us that uh, is uh, free and is uh, not of our own merits and not of our own doing, but is uh, solely because of you. Lord, I just pray that you'd bless us tonight with uh, teaching and uh, your Holy Spirit, that, Lord, we'd receive the instruction uh, and uh, retain it and use it, Lord, to uh, grow closer to you, to please you, and to do your will. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so last week, uh, there was a couple of verses that uh, I wanted to touch on Um Specifically, as, uh, we, as I was closing, I was mentioning a couple of things about, uh, the putting off and the putting on when it comes to, uh, the disciplinary action that we do in our life. And again, not talking about a punishment type thing, but as, uh, a, a, a disciplined, if you will, soldier. Uh, I've, I've used this example before when the, a, a person joins the military, uh, they are given a very disciplined regimen. They give a time where they're supposed to be up. They're given a time when they have to be at mess. They're given a time when they have to be for PT. They're given a time when they have to do this and this and this and this. And it's all regimented and they begin to build a discipline a lifestyle that is based around that. And it's really hard to actually get rid of. Uh, if you've ever known military individuals, uh, they will have a tendency to wake up when they were used to wake up on their uh, specific watches or specific times. Uh, they will still do things the way that they used to do uh, that were you know, taught to them in basic training and they will, they will keep those regimented things and they will just keep doing them throughout their life because it has become a disciplined part of their life. 
Now, they do it in, in, to a degree in a bit of a habitual manner, almost automatic. And as we've talked about, this, this change in this discipline is not an automatic thing. We can't get it into our minds that oh, you're just, you know, we're just going to build this uh, unconscious righteousness habit. Uh, that's not how righteousness works. Righteousness is a choice. Righteousness is a decision. Righteousness is something that you choose to do, and you make the decision and purpose to do it. Without doing that, you're just, uh, if you will, kind of throwing caution to the wind and doing it on your own power. We don't want to have, uh, if you will, automatic things. We want to have maybe verses that automatically come up. We want to have the desires to automatically be according to his will. And that's where we find verses that say, Thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against thee. It helps deter us. It helps keep us away from it. But it's still going to be a decision. It's still going to be a choice that we're going to have to make. We, we, we're very good at developing bad habits. We're, we're, we're very poor at developing good habits. And this is where we have to make those decisions, as we were talking about, uh, you know, uh, in an active, engaged manner in something that we're actually exercising. You know, we've got the verse on the wall that says, No man that warth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him with chosen him to be a soldier. And again, you know, there's the soldier mentality. Now, again, the whole entire uh, uh, um, Christian life is not military-based. It's uh, very much as we see husbandry-based. It's shepherding. It is construction-based. It's agricultural-based. It's uh, um, There's a whole slew of other, you know, examples of how God portrays the Christian life and what we are supposed to be uh, doing and how we're supposed to live. But being a disciplined soldier is one of them. And when we're a disciplined soldier, meaning we have that mindset of we want to do what is right, that we're pleasing him that has chosen us to be a soldier, that we are are, are just automatically saying, I want to do what's right. I want to do those things that please him and honor him to keep out the bad decisions, the bad choices, the the, the change that I want to make. I want to retain that. So we've talked a bit about that, and we talked about how it's uh, like the putting off and putting on of clothes. You know, again, we move into a a mindset, and if we turn to Ephesians chapter 4, again, to to mention that passage, we'll look at the one that we saw over in Colossians, uh, again, to just reemphasize this, because as we go back and think about what we've, we've learned, it's going to become a little clearer. It says in verse, uh, Ephesians chapter four in, uh, verse 21, it says, if so be that you have learned him, or excuse me, heard him, and have been taught the truth by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is corrupt according to deceitful nut lusts. And it be renewed in the spirit of your mind that ye put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Now, this is an important thing because as we get into this concept of the instruction of righteousness, we have to understand that when Paul is saying that we can receive instruction in righteousness, then it is possible for us to do the right thing. You know, many times people have this fatalist mentality. 
They have this, uh, if you will, dare I say, almost uh, reformed or Calvinistic mentality of man is corrupt and will never make the right choices. I am still corrupt. I will never make the right choices. Uh, therefore, I'm just doomed to repeat sin and praise God for his grace and his glory that has saved me. Well, that's not a pleasing mentality. As a matter of fact, that's very sinful because we're now excluding God from working in our lives. We, we, we just shut him out and said, God can't, God, God can't make that change. He just said right there that the new man that is in us, uh, put on, uh, the new man is created in righteousness and true holiness. So that means that righteousness and holiness are possible. It's a choice. You can do that. You can do that. But again, it's a choice. Like we were talking about last week. It's a choice about what you put on. You wake up in the morning and you're like, oh, I'm going to put that on. And somebody looks at that and goes, you really thought that was a good idea to put on? Well, <laughs> Colossians chapter 3 and, and, and in verse uh, verse 10, uh, you know, the clothes that we wear are very indicative of the kind of sometimes lifestyle that we leave, live. Now, look, I'm not saying that if somebody wears a three-piece suit and a tie, they're more righteous than the guy that comes in, you know, jeans and a t-shirt. That, that's just, no, 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 no. You know, that, that, that doesn't work that way. You know, I would be considered, uh, you know, abominable in, in, in a lot of places because right now I'm not wearing a tie and I'm wearing a black t-shirt. <gasps> oh, my dark little heart. Um, you know, that's, that stuff's ridiculous. That stuff's ridiculous. But I will say this, that what you put on does represent what's inside, what you do, what your vocation is. You know, somebody that is, uh, uh, is, is going to be, say, example, a hunter, they're going to wear camouflage, they're going to have a backpack, they're going to have a rifle with them or a bow or uh, spear, I don't know, you know, I guess it depends on where you're hunting. <laughs> you're you're, you're going to have something that kind of, you know, exemplifies that that's what you're doing. Somebody that goes out there and is going to be working construction is going to have a hard hat, is going to have a, you know, yellow safety vest, is going to have, have to have safety glasses and goggles and tools and things of that nature. So when we make this decision about what we're going to put on, it, it, it is very much a choice to put on Christ and say, I, I, I want to be representative of him. So I'm not talking about the physical clothes we're wearing. I'm talking about how we represent him spiritually in our hearts and in our minds that comes out to other people and communicates the spiritual need and the spiritual edification that we're required to do. Those type of things. Again, a very spiritual sense. In Colossians chapter 3, and again, we, we talked about this in verse 10, it says, and I put on the new man. But in verse 8, it says that you're to put off these. So he gives you examples of these are the things that you ought not wear in verse 8. He says, you put off all, all these Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. So this is the idea, the concept. We don't communicate the same way. Our conversation is very, very different. 
A, a, a perfect example is, you know, sometimes, you know, in a counseling session, uh, you'll get an individual that will have a certain expression. And they will, uh, they're the kind of people that uh, really don't have what they refer to as the poker face. They, they just kind of just go, uh, uh, if you will, reveal their, their displeasure uh, very clearly. And sometimes that happens in, in relationships that have disintegrated to points of, uh, of uh, extreme hostility. Uh, you, you generally, when somebody will mention somebody, there will be a, an actual change in their visage in their countenance. And you'll see that. So what has to happen in order to change that visage in that countenance, where they're communicating anger, wrath, uh, malice, uh, uh, filthy communication, or something of that nature? We, 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 let's just face it, we, we, we've probably all done it. You know, you, you, you hurt yourself and, and you're just like, oh, ow, oh, oh, somebody comes up to you and you're like, oh, are you all right? Yeah, I'm fine. Um, <laughs> everything's telling me that you're not fine. Everything tells me that you're hurt. I'm concerned, you know, th- those type of situations. So we have to make sure how we communicate. And again, our conversation is not just words but it is also how we behave towards another person with our actions. It's also our thought life, how we think about that person. If our conversation in our thought life is every time somebody mentions that person's name, you're like, oh, you know, you spit and curse them, you know, in your mind, then there's a problem in your heart. You have to address that. That's where the issue lies. So when we look at this, what's going on here, he's saying these things need to be put off, but we put on the new man in verse 10, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Saying, look, this is what we need to do. We need to put on Christ. And in verse 12, he says, put on therefore as the elect of God. So put off these things, but put on this. Holy and beloved. Here he says, and he calls these individuals. He says, you're holy and beloved. This is what you need to do. Now, I, I like to, to focus on that holy and beloved part because how God sees this is a lot different than how we see ourselves and how people see us, right? So let's think about this. He's saying, look, you're, you know, you're as elect of God, you're holy and beloved. God loves you. God has seen the holiness of his son shed blood covering your sins, blotting it out, blotting out those transgressions and the ordinances that were against us. And praise God for that. So he's saying, this is how God sees you. This is the way you need to act. He says, this is what you need to put on, bowels of mercy. Bowels of mercy. Now, I talked about, you know, the soul is a very interesting thing in that it has a lot of what we would call physical human parts. The soul has a mind, the soul has a heart, the soul has bowels, has ears and eyes, uh, has a mouth. Has all these things that we would normally think about, if you will, as a human form. So it has a distinct, if you will, uh, human shape and image to it. 
And here he's saying in the very innermost part of you, the bowels, the core of who you are. And that's where, that's where he's talking about. He's talking about the core. You know, when you're working out, what are they talking about? They're talking about working out your core and your core exercises, right? That's where you're doing those, you know, 500 sit-ups a day, right? Amen? Yeah, yeah, you guys are getting there, huh? <clears throat> yeah. I'm sitting there going, I can't, I, right now? No, that's not happening. <clears throat> but what he's talking about, he's talking about the inside. He's talking in that very deep center of who you are. Mercy should be present. The very key thing that drives you and drives your responses, the very key thing that drives the way that you deal with people, the very key thing that drives you in the way of your change is understanding the mercy of God and how you are not getting what you deserve. And let's just be honest. If we got what we deserved, how many of us would be a smoking pile of ash right now? I mean, we, we probably wouldn't even be that part. It would probably just be blowing in the wind. We wouldn't even get a chance to have the little mound or anything. It would be all over with. But you understand what I'm saying is the very core inside of us, when mercy is there, as it says over there in the book of Micah, he says this is what God's expectation of us is, is just, you know, have mercy. If, if that's what's driving us, that's going to drive the change. Because let's be honest. When we start looking at change, and this is how we have to look at change, change isn't just for ourselves. Change isn't about bettering ourselves. Change, first and foremost, as we've talked about, is what? Pleasing God. If it doesn't please God, and that's not the intent, we're going to have a hard time making that change stick. So, again, and it's not about pleasing the people around us. But what we do, as I initially said uh, tonight, is the change that we make is going to affect the people, the people that are around us. What is it? What is the better thing to communicate? Your anger towards somebody or God's mercy? Well, if it's your anger, then who's the one that's being lifted up at that point? The person that's angry. Whereas if you're communicating God's mercy, who's the one that's being lifted up? God and his word, right? That's the, that's the idea. So we see that this is the stuff that should be happening. This is the stuff we put on. Kindness. I, I mean, really, you don't need to express anything more than that word. I mean, how much more can you elaborate on the word Kindness. We seem to have forgotten what kindness is. And isn't it weird that when somebody expresses kindness, all of a sudden, your whole day changes, right? You're sitting there and you're just absolutely just mad and you're just just livid because people are driving like idiots and you're just, you know, the whole way. And you get, right before you get to where you're going to, you're like, man, I'm just going to... And you go and you're going to get your coffee or you're going to get your drink or whatever it is. And you get up there and you're getting ready to order. And you, you put in your order and the person says, well, that's going to be $12.85 for your, you know, six ounce cup of coffee. And uh, you, you you pull up and then the person says, oh, by the way, the person in front of you paid for it. 
What happens? All of a sudden, some of that stuff just really doesn't matter anymore, right? You're going through the checkout line. You're grumbling. The cashier smiles, makes small conversation, jokes with you, gets you to kind of smile and chuckle and laugh. Something changes, right? Driving 10 miles an hour over the speed limit, you get pulled over by a state trooper. He smiles. <laughs> he, he walks to the back with your license and registration, and you're sitting there going, oh. And you're like, I was only doing 10 miles an hour. And the Lord's going, yeah, but still you sinned. Yeah, but it was, but, 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 but Lord, it's the laws of man, but you sinned. And you're like, but, 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 no, no. And you're having that whole conversation as you're wrestling, as he's taking like 30 minutes to run your name. Which, by the way, he's, he's just sitting, he's not running your name. He's running your name, and then he's checking his email, and he's checking his text messages. He's looking at his Facebook profile. Checks Instagram, looks at that meme. <laughs> Got to text that to someone else. You know, no, I'm not, I'm kidding. They don't do that. <clears throat> but, you know, he comes back, and he says, all right, just give, give you a warning, verbal warning. No, no ticket, nothing on your, just, just slow it down. And you're just like, whew, you just escaped the ticket. And you're like, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We like it when people are kind to us. Now, the kindness that we're talking about here isn't the physical kindness that I just ex- exemplified there. The kindness that we're talking about is spiritual. You know how kind you can be to a person spiritually? Forgiving people's faults. Caring more about another person in charity than you care about yourself. Um, making sure that, that what you do has the correct impact in a person's life from a biblical perspective. This is the kindness that we're looking at. This is how, how we do that. And, and, and look, it just doesn't happen. It's something you have to really put on. You have to make a decision to put that on. I mean, none of us here just automatically decided to dress and didn't care what we put on. We kind of made a choice, right? We looked at it and we're like, eh, 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 whatever, I'll grab that. We just kind of put, you know, what on? So we make a choice, right? The same thing is we have to put on kindness. It's just not going to automatically start oozing out of us. I, I, I can't think of how how much greater the kindness is is when Jesus Christ said, Thy sins be forgiven thee, before he healed them. Before he healed them. That's kindness. That's kindness. Humbleness of mind. Oh, yeah, you got to put that one on. That's one that you actually have to put on. You have to lower yourself in your mind's eye and in your heart and tear down that image and idol. 
And sometimes we've got to take a little bit of some, uh, uh, you know, nitrogen and stuff it in there and blow it to shreds because it's really entrenched. That's an explosive for those of you that don't know what that is. Uh, anyways, <laughs> um, you know, we, we, we just, we, we, we have to really, you know, strive to remove it. We have to strive as, as he says, uh, striving against sin under blood. And, and we have to make that choice, especially when it comes to things that are pride-filled. So we have to choose to be humble in our own mind. Because let's put it this way, we, we, we really get lifted up in our own mind's eye, don't we? We think we're something special. We think we're God's gift to wherever we work, we're God's gift to our spouse, we're God's gift to our parents, or we're God's gift to our friends, or we're God's gift to... Nope. Which just put us exactly where, where we are. God's gift to us was salvation because we couldn't save ourselves. We need Him because we were created to be dependent wholly upon God. That's the perfection that He created in the garden, by the way. To be dependent on Him. Not independent, but to be dependent upon Him. And when we realize that, it really puts us in light of, I guess I'm not better than the next guy. Because we all need salvation. doesn't matter, as he says there in the previous verses, in verse 11, there's neither Jew or Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond or free. Christ is all and in all. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter your ethnicity. Doesn't matter, uh, your, uh, personal preferences. Doesn't matter about your education. It doesn't matter about any of that. Or even your status is whether you're rich or poor. What matters is your soul. What matters is what we're doing for Christ. Keeping Christ in our mind keeps humbleness there. And then he says meekness. Meekness. Just like Moses. I like to look at meekness. You know, some people say, well, meekness is weakness. Uh, you know, when, when, when Moses said to Korah's band and said, well, if God doesn't want me, he's going to do something new and open up the ground and swallow you whole. You know, he was relying on God's strength. Yeah, so when we're weak, that means rely on God. So you know what meekness is, really? Meekness means that you are solely dependent upon the Lord to handle the situation. You're not going to insert yourself. That's what being meek is all about. Not that, you know, quiet, introversion type mentality that people have. Because I don't think Moses was the quiet, introverted type. Um, I think he was just such a friend with God that he just decided, I'm just going to let God handle that. I'm just going to let God handle that. I'm going to let God handle his people. I'm going to let God handle the situation. 
That's meekness. Long-suffering, as we've talked about. How long are we willing to suffer with somebody? You know what that means? It means that it's kind of self-inflicted. Yeah, you could remove yourself from the situation, but then there's no more suffering, and it's not long anymore. Jesus Christ could have removed himself from the situation and said, you know what? You're all out to kill me. Hey, Michael, would you come on down here and take care of them all? All of them? Yeah, entire world. Wipe them out. And Michael's like, okay. Takes out the sword. Shing, shing, polishes it up. <laughs> but he chose to suffer long with us. You know, we think, we think uh, dealing with an issue for seven days might be long. Seven years might be long. Try 7,000 years dealing with mankind. Got about six under the belt right now. Still long-suffering. All the way through the end. Verse 13, forbearing one another. It means you're going to help somebody. Tell you, the greatest change that you can see in your life is when you decide to not do something for yourself, but to to do it for the Lord, for the benefit of someone else. The thief, right? Ephesians 4, he was, uh, uh, you know, he, he stopped being a thief, not when he quit stealing, but when he labored with his hands to give. Not to take, but to give. Forbearing is when you go along and you begin to minister to somebody. Every Christian needs to understand how to minister. How to help. How to do that. Because it's a ministry that is given to us over there um, where Paul talks about we're ambassadors. The ministry of reconciliation. So what we find here is we find the next one where it says in forgiving one another. And he describes how to go about doing that. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And he says that needs to be the mindset. If you live your life with a forgiving mentality, that you're just willing to whatever happens, you're just willing to forgive the person, uh, you're exemplifying Jesus Christ. People are like, well, you know, is, is God so forgiving that he would forgive Hitler? Yeah, he would have. I don't want to say that Hitler was too far gone, but, you know, Hitler obviously had exposure to the gospel at one point. He knew about, quote-unquote, Christianity. He used it for his own personal gain, though. But the end result is, is if he had trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior... Would you have forgiven him? Yeah. But I think he was, uh, if you will, uh, like Judas, possessed of the devil and uh, determined to destroy 
because you see him doing the exact same thing that Judas did in the end. No, he's not still alive eating peanut butter and banana sandwiches with Elvis. So, you know, we, we, we understand that concept. God's willing to forgive anyone. They come to him, he'll forgive. He'll forgive. And I like this last part, verse 14. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. This goes back to what I was talking about with holiness, righteousness, and being perfect. If you have charity, of which God said it is greater than faith and hope, in 1 Corinthians 13, then you know what that does? That means you're seeking to have that perfect lifestyle that God wants you to do. Now look, I understand we're going to sin. After you get saved, you're going to sin. It happens. We disobey. We, 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 we do things that we shouldn't do. That happens. And when we understand that concept, we understand that that sin isn't imputed unto us. Praise God for that. It's not held against us. Well, let's put it this way. God will correct it because he chastens and corrects those he loves. So he'll take care of that. But the one thing that we need to understand is that if we fail to put on the charity, then we are disobeying the direct commandment of God. You know what that means, being charitable? Again, to to give that definition uh, of what it is, um, of what charity is, it's a long definition. But charity is the disposition, or if you will, an attitude of the heart, which inclines one to prefer others over self, in the areas of spiritual and physical, both of them, needs. And it's basically translating into a sacrifice, a sacrificial action towards another person for the purpose of edifying without regard to what happens to you personally. You're the last person on the agenda. Your last person to the table. Well, I might not get the snack that I want. Does it matter? I might not get, I might not get what it is that I, that I think I deserve. Does that matter? Or does it matter that we please the Lord? Somebody else should get that. Freaks people out when, when you're standing in a line and you're standing there waiting to, to get into the self-checkouts lines, and you're standing there and somebody walks up like two seconds after you, and the lane opens up and you go, after you. And they look at you like you're crazy. <laughs> like, no, no, you were here first. No, I insist, please go. And sometimes there's that, no, you go, no, you go, no, you go, no, you After a while, you're just like, fine, I'll go, you know? But... What happens? You're preferring somebody else. Well, I, I gotta, 
Is it really that important? Maybe what they got to do is more important than what you got to do. Maybe that opportunity to do that might lead to a conversation about Christ. An opportunity to hand them a track. Opportunity that they see you and they're like, hey, you're the guy that let me in line the other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. Oh, oh. Most people don't normally do that. Yeah, yeah. I guess I'm a little different, you know. Lord created me a little bit different when he saved me. I look at you like, what? You know, then at that point in time, they're probably going to either walk away from you because you're a weirdo or they're going to be intrigued, right? But the end result is, is you have opportunities. You never know. So our personal outcome gets put at the very back. I mention all of this with the put off and the put on in regards to, to, to the, you know, if you will, the idea of clothing is that we put on clothing because it's just what we do. It's what we do. As a Christian, putting on Christ is what we do. We put off the things that are sinful. That's what we do. And we put on Christ. We put on these things. So it becomes, if you will, the habitual manner. We just do it because that's what God asks of us. Turn over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Here's what happens when you don't train. When you don't get instruction, when you don't discipline, here's what winds up happening. Matthew chapter 12, <clears throat> and uh, <coughs> in verse 43, it says, uh, um, When the unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest, and finding findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out, and when he has come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. And then he goeth, he, then goeth he, and taketh with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself. And they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of the man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. And why is that? Because they refuse to change. They refuse to follow the instructions. And what I mean by that is, you sweep it out, you garnish it, and you have someone living there. We're talking about the heart here. When sin is put out of our heart, when sin is put out of our life, something needs to dwell there. And that is the Word of God. It's the Holy Spirit. If that's not there, then what's going to happen is we are going to be worse than we were before. Because we'll go back to that same sin and we'll escalate it. We'll go back to that same sin and we will incorporate other surrounding sins. Subsets of sins. And we just create a bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger spiral at the end. Till we finally get to the bottom, which is the despair. And we realize how horrible life is. 
And somebody that chooses to not fill themselves, if you will, put off sin and put on Christ, to not replace the sinful behavior with the biblical behavior, the end result of what winds up happening is we are going to be worse than we were before. Because look, yeah, I mean, they went in and what did they do? They did a lot of physical work. They swept it and they garnished it. Looks nice inside, but it's empty. Nobody's home. Nothing's there. Christ isn't occupying. God's nowhere to be found. Holy Spirit isn't speaking to anybody. That's the humanistic way. Let's, let's just sweep it and garnish it and just keep it empty. Maybe we'll get a renter. Let's turn it into an Airbnb. No, let's not do that. Let's not invite those things. Let's, let's, let's understand that Jesus Christ is at the door knocking. Right? He wants to come in. He wants to have fellowship. And by the way, a lot of times people use that passage for salvation, and I get it, and it preaches that way. But if you go over there and realize who it's talking to, isn't it talking to one of the seven churches? Wait a second. One of the seven churches in Revelation, meaning these are supposedly believers, and they locked Christ out? Whoa. That's a big problem. Why is Christ on the outside knocking to see if he can come in and have dinner? Be like, no, the door is open. It's like, it's Jesus. He should be here already. (laughs) Why is he outside? Who closed the door? Somebody needs to get smacked upside the head. Usually it's us. Because we're the one that locked the door. That ever happened, you know, you're trying to go into the house and then somebody locks the door behind them just as a force of habit and you come to the door and you don't have your key and you're like, <clears throat> like ringing the doorbell. And finally they come to the door and they're like, oh, like surprised, like, oh, and you're like, hmm. who are you expecting? Easter Bunny Santa Claus. <laughs> you're just like. That's not the way it's supposed to be with Christ. He's supposed to be there. So we see that this is the pattern. This is what we're trying to avoid. This is why we need to make sure that we're following after the things of righteousness. Turn over to the book of Luke. Because again, as Paul tells Timothy over there, he says that the word of God, uh, Luke chapter 18, the word of God is is profitable. Uh, it's for doctrine, it's for reproof, it's for correction, it's for instruction in righteousness. And it's the righteousness part. So we've talked about instruction, and here we are talking about this idea of, if you will, what righteousness is. And, 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 and we see here in, in Luke chapter 18, well, let's go down here, uh, to, to verse 19 where he was talking in a par, or verse 9 where he was talking in a parable. But in verse 9 he says, and he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. 
Now look, when, when, when people look at that word despised, they think, well, I, well, thank God I don't despise anybody. Well, if you're not exhibiting charity, you're exhibiting something else towards them. If you don't love somebody, you're like, well, I kind of like them. Well, considering what God talks about when it comes to brothers and sisters in Christ, isn't it called, commanded love? Well, I, 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 I love them, I just don't like them. Nope. Aren't you glad God doesn't say that to you? I love you, but I just don't like you. Treatment would be really different, wouldn't it? But he called them holy and beloved over there. In the book of Colossians, chapter 3. Calls them holy and beloved multiple times. Calls them saints. Calls them all sorts of uh, very endearing terms. Because he loves them. It's not a like. It's a love. Big difference. Big difference. But here he is, he's saying that here's the issue. They're trusting in their own righteousness. And this is the problem. We have to make sure that the righteousness that we're being instructed in is not man's. Because we know what what Isaiah says, right? We, we, We know that Isaiah 64 says what? Well, let's turn there. Isaiah chapter 64. Isaiah 64 and verse 6 says, But we are all as an unclean thing, And all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. This is Israel saying what their status is. But we use this a lot. Our righteousness is filthy rags. The Pharisees, (coughs) excuse me, the Pharisees were over there doing it. Paul calls them out in Romans chapter 10 says that they were doing it. And I tell you, people still today do it. All of a sudden they think that they know what is right. But the, the, the idea and the concept of righteousness comes from a book that has to be holy. has to come from a standard that is holy. So we then begin to compare what God's standard is to what our standard is. And man's standard is, well, just stop. Stop doing it, right? If you stop doing it, you're fine. And God says, no, it's not a matter of stop doing it. It's a matter of do this and don't do that. Those are two totally different things. You ever have that happen? Got two kids. One kid's poking the other one with a stick. And you say, stop it. Whack, 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 whack. Start beating with the stick. I told you to stop it. You told me to stop poking them. (laughs) 
uh, what would be the better way of handling it? Treat your sibling correctly. Do not harm them, hurt them, or harass them. Now you just gave them a very broad category, and now they've got to take their little minds and figure out, okay, how can I hurt them, harm them, you know, without getting in trouble. You've at least given them something to think about, right? But the idea and the concept is, is you, 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 you want the behavior to stop, but in order to get the behavior to stop, you got to tell them what the right thing to do is. You, to, you take them over to the verses that says, you're not to be a brawler. You're not to provoke people under wrath. You're not to do those things. But what you are to do is you're to provoke them above all what? To love. To provoke them into righteousness. They're sitting there provoking the other sibling. Tell, tell the child, all right, this is what I want you to do. I want you to provoke your brother slash sister, insert whatever there, into doing what is right. Because if they smack you, it's not, you know, in response to what you did. You provoked them to anger. We don't want to provoke them to anger. We want to provoke them to doing what is right. How do you provoke them to doing what is right? Make the child think. That's why God gave them brains that are malleable. That you can take and you can mold into the Word of God. Why? Because the world has got another agenda they want to mold your child's brain into. And it's not a pretty one. So what do we do? We teach them to go after the righteousness of God, not righteousness in themselves. Turn over to, as I insinuated, Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10, verse 3. Again, like I said, Paul just kind of calls it as it is, points it out. He says, here's Israel's problem. You know, they got an issue with pride. They got an issue with all of that that they're dealing with. In verse 3, he says, For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness have not submitted themselves under the righteousness of God. There's the problem. God was left out. God's righteousness was left out. This is why the instruction in righteousness has to come from a valid, authoritative source. I.e. the Word of God. Scripture. Scripture, which is what it's profitable for. Turn, uh, turn back over to the book of Matthew, Matthew 23. I know I got you flipping around all over the places, but Matthew chapter 23. <clears throat> uh, Matthew 23 and, um, let's take a look at verse 27. Now, if you know anything about Matthew 23, I've, I've preached a, a series on this. It's the woes. Woe unto you. Woe unto you. Woe unto you as he goes through all of this. And it's verse 27. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees. And he says, hypocrites. And if we're going to use the word hypocrite, we've got to make sure we're using it correctly. And that's why we approached it that way. Hypocrisy is the spirit of the age today. Hypocrisy is humanism. 
It says, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. If hypocrisy and iniquity are inside, we've got sin. So what is it we're supposed to have? We're supposed to have righteousness inside. And he says, you're doing a good job of faking it, but God knows what's in you. Pharisees always were good about acting. They're always good about putting on airs and putting on, you know, as he said, the shamefacedness and, you know, the, the giving of their tithe as in, oh, this is so horrible. You know, oh, it's going to be such a financial burden. In front of everyone. I guess I'm eating ramen for a week. And the widow walks by and she just takes all she has, the two mites, throws it in and walks off. Why? Because she purposed to give all that she had. Because it belonged to him anyways. The righteousness is 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 not the fake part. If we find ourselves faking it, it's not righteous. It's not righteous. And what I mean by that is, when we talk about fakery, I'm talking about where we do it automatic. We don't think about it. God gave us a brain for a reason. God gave us a heart that affects that mind. And it should be uh, the automatic choice, if you will. If you want to go with an automatic, you go do the automatic choice of, I want to please God. But it's the purpose of the statement. It's the automatic response that Daniel said. When he was proposed with eating something that was outside of what he knew was... You know, for the Jews, what did he say? He was not going to, he purposely was not going to defile himself with the king's meat. He just made a choice. He knew what the right decision was. He knew what the right choice was. His parents weren't there to guide him. The, the, the priest wasn't there to guide him. There was no Levite around. It was just a bunch of kids that had been kidnapped and were now all alone with no support. Why do you think the Babylonians and the Syrians did that? Well, they didn't care about the people that were aged. Those people couldn't fight anyways. What did they want? They wanted the young ones. Why? So that they could corrupt their minds and have them worship their gods and become like them. And grow their kingdom. And Daniel said, no. He made a choice. He purposed. So when we start talking about, you know, it's fake, we get into the, the mindset of doing what is right just kind of, if you will, automatically happens. No, we need to make sure that our intent is clear because that's what we're judged on according to 1 Corinthians 3. 
If we are going to do it with intent, then we need to make sure that we communicate the intent. We say, I'm doing this for the Lord. And we have to be able to say that we can do it for the Lord. His will and His way. Not the way we want it. His will, His way. Because the intent of the action has to be clear. God's will and His righteous acts versus our own will and sinful behavior. Those are the choices. It's very black and white. People can say, well, there's there's some gray areas. I, I get that. I understand what people say about the gray areas, but it, it's pretty clear. There's doing what's right, and there's doing what's not right. There's doing what's right, and there's doing what's almost right. That's still wrong. If we're doing it for the Lord, and we're doing it for Him, and we're doing it for Him the way He, he wants it done, and we're following after Him to give Him glory, honor, and praise, then there you go. We need to make sure that that's the intent. Since we're there in Matthew chapter uh, 23, let's turn over to uh, Matthew chapter 5 really quick. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And uh, <clears throat> just got a couple of minutes left. I want to mention this. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 5. And in verse 20, it says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And I point this out for one reason. <clears throat> it still can look right and still be horribly wrong. He says, yeah, oh, absolutely. The scribes and Pharisees, they were doing the right things. Now, the problem was with their heart. They were doing it for their own righteousness. Not to glorify God, not seeking God's righteousness, but they were doing it for their own. The end result is, is he says, look, you know, here's the situation. Now, look, this, understanding this passage, understanding this is a kingdom of heaven passage, talking about the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, entering into that kingdom, very much tribulation type passage, not talking about salvation here as far as, you know, us. But, but, but what we clearly see here is he's setting a standard. He's saying, look, the scribes and Pharisees have a degree of righteousness. The righteousness that is expected of us of God is greater than that. And what I mean by that is the world's righteousness is not the standard. The church's righteousness is not the standard. The, the, the religious organization's righteousness is not the standards. It's God's. There's only one standard of righteousness that he deems acceptable. And that's, 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 that's the Lord's. End of story. So next week we're going to take a look at a couple of examples. Uh, I want to mention a couple of things about it. Again, it being possible. I think it's important for us to understand that these, these are things that we can do. Because, you know, we see them in scripture. 
We, we, you know, I used an example of Daniel. We all know the story of what happened with Daniel. Daniel made choices for God, and God blessed him. Now, if again, I, I don't think Daniel was sitting there going, oh man, if I do this, then God's going to bless me, and I'm going to be you know, the ruler over the kingdom, or Joseph, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to be second in command of all of Egypt. I don't think either one of them were doing that. I think they were just like, well, no, we're going to do what is right according to the Lord. And again, I want you to understand, both Daniel and Joseph, how much of the word of God did they have when they were making those choices? Joseph had nothing. Nothing been written yet. Maybe the book of Job, but I doubt it was being passed around in the book clubs. Daniel, you got to remember, he was ripped out of his home, taken captive. He didn't get to say, wait a second, can I go grab a couple of the, the, the scrolls from the temple first? I don't think the Babylonian soldier was going to be like, uh, okay, hurry up. It's like, no, grab them, put them in the cage wagon, and get them shipped over there to Babylon as soon as possible. That was the mentality. You didn't get to take stuff. The way they ripped, the way the Babylonians, man, they were cruel. It was whatever was on your back at the time. And if you had anything extraneous, such as bags or anything else you were carrying, or shoes that maybe they wanted, or anything else, they ripped that right off of you and they stuffed you inside these these giant wooden crates, for lack of a better term. Little air, little water, little food coming in, packed in there with about, you know, who knows how many people. You have to sleep sitting up because you can't lay down because there's so many people packed in there. By the time you get across that desert, a few of them have already passed. Let's just kind of keep this in mind that this is all what Daniel went through by the time he got over to Babylon and said, I'm going to make some choices. He didn't have a chance to to bring a Bible along. Which is really critical for teaching our children. How much of the Bible are they going to remember if that ever happened to us right now? That's a terrifying thought. Israel didn't think it was going to happen. But it did. A lot of nations, a lot of countries didn't think it was going to happen. But it did idea is set up the standard as God's instruction of righteousness from his scripture, from his word. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the time. Thank you again, Lord, for those that are here tonight. Pray, Lord, you just keep us safe as we go home and throughout the rest of this week. Lord, we meditate upon these things that we've uh, seen from your word and from your scripture, that, Lord, we have a desire to please you. That if there's change that we need to make, that, Lord, we put off what is wrong, And we would put on that righteousness from you, from your word, taught to us by your Holy Spirit. Lord, again, I just thank you for this uh, opportunity to just meet here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you just continue to prepare the hearts for Sunday, that we can bring praise and worship and just uh, glory to you about just sending your son here to, to be the Lamb of God, to take away the sin of the world. And Lord, I'm just so thankful for that. These things I ask and pray in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen.